Please pray with me. Lord, we're getting ready to read from your Bible, the Bible that you have given to us, the Bible that calls for great respect, the Bible that are the very words of our God. Help us to be attentive. Put aside all the things that would distract us. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is the word of God. We're in the midst of a month-long study of Luke chapter 9. And Pastor Matthew decided that I could have the best part of the chapter while he's off camping with our cadets. I love this passage. I think it's great. And my prayer is that I'll be able to convey some of its wonder to you in the next few minutes. The title, Seeing More of Jesus, and that's what happened to the original disciples over those more than three years that they were with him. And I hope a bit of that happens to us this morning. We're going to look at an amazing stage of seeing Jesus, the way people saw him on that Mount of Transfiguration. 
Most of us go through several different stages of seeing Jesus. We keep growing in our experience with him, and we, we see more of him now than we used to see. And I want, to, I want you to think with me about that as, as we look at the Jesus who's revealed in the Bible. I want to help you see Jesus and to deepen your commitment to him. I want you to desire to see even more of him in the coming months. Three words summarize the whole sermon this morning. Revelation, transfiguration, exhortation. Revelation first. A very basic reality. God reveals. Everything you know, God reveals. There's nothing that's obvious without the help of God. All facts are revealed facts. What we know is what God has chosen to let us know. And revelation from God, whether it's through nature or through the scripture, is always true. And we learn in the scripture that it's progressive. We get to know more and more. In the Old Testament, you just at the beginning get a tiny little hint that there's a Messiah coming. And as you keep going through Abraham, you learn a bit more about that Messiah. And then you learn there's going to be a prophet like Moses. And you learn he's going to be the son of David. And you learn from Isaiah that he's going to be a servant. And there's just enough in the Old Testament revealed about this Messiah to make you want to know more. Then comes the New Testament. And in the New Testament, it's Jesus who's revealed. Oh, initially, it's just those unusual things surrounding his birth, the, the star, the magi, the shepherds, the angels. And then there was that moment at age 12, we had... He showed great wisdom, unusual ability. And then when he was 30, and he went out to be with John the Baptist, where John was baptizing, and in the process, John called him the Lamb of God. And then came a voice from heaven. And people began to wonder, who is this Jesus? He's not like the rest of us. And they started listening to his teachings, and they started seeing him performing miracles. And gradually, over a three-year period, this person, Jesus, was revealed to a lot of people. And then we come to Luke chapter 9. We're doing things a little out of order, so if you read the verses preceding the passage for today, you find that Jesus conducts an opinion poll. Who do people say I am? And there are all kinds of answers until Peter gets an insight and says, Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And two things that had been kept separate up until then, 
the Messiah of the Old Testament and the Jesus of the New Testament were suddenly brought together in Peter's mind and he blurted it out, I know who you are. And then Jesus said something they didn't know and they didn't want to hear and they refused to listen to. He began to talk about dying and coming back to life and this they could not accept. And despite all they'd learned in a couple of years, they were not ready for that message. We're going to look at the transfiguration passage, but we really won't understand it very well unless we see it against the background of this revelation, starting in Genesis and going all the way to Peter's confession and Jesus saying, I'm going to die and come back to life. Because revelation is a progressive thing where God lets us see and know more and more and more as he enlightens us. We're ready for the second word, the word transfiguration. Let's look at the actual passage. It's found in uh, Matthew 17 and Mark 9 and Luke 9. And each one gives us a few more facts. And I'm going to try to tell the story by putting the three passages together. It's been a week now since Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And the, the Gospels tell us, the writers say, after a week, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on that mountain. They went up to pray. I'm guessing that's what they did. Probably well into the evening, Jesus and the three prayed. I, I would think it was probably a very long prayer. And after a while, the other three were all prayed out. And I'm guessing that Jesus kept praying, and they'd had it, and they fell asleep. And the text says that while he was praying, he was transfigured. What's that mean? Well, if you and I had been there with our video camera, we would have seen that his clothing became intensely white and that his face was giving off light. Somehow there was something inside that couldn't be kept back any longer. Whatever had been hidden in his life for about 32 years now could not be contained, and it started coming out. It was a glorious thing, and as it did so, two more men showed up, Moses and Elijah, and, and Peter and James and John started to wake up to that scene. Who? And just as they're taking it in, they realize that Moses and Elijah are leaving. And, and Peter, as always, no, 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 don't leave is what I think he's saying. Please just stay. And then the text says that a cloud 
came down over the whole scene. And as that cloud is covering them, once more they hear a voice. And in their fear, I think appropriate fear, Peter and James and John, along with reverence, the combination, they fall down on the ground. And then Jesus touched them. And the experience was over. What an incredible story. Let's look at a couple of things in more detail. At verse 29, it says, The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. One of the other Gospels describes it as glory. He was filled with glory in this transfiguration. And you think, well, is there anything else in the scripture like this? Is this the first time this kind of thing? Well, buried deep in Daniel, Daniel had a vision, and what Daniel saw was a face like lightning. He saw eyes like flaming torches, that sounds a little bit similar. Or when Pastor Matthew was preaching a few months through those opening chapters of Revelation. And Revelation 1, John's vision says, he saw one who had eyes like a flame of fire, whose head and hair were as white as wool, as white as snow. That sounds similar too, doesn't it? Daniel, transfiguration, Revelation, and obviously we have the advantage of being able to see that those three are all pointing to Jesus the Christ. It was a magnificent moment, a glorious moment. And in trying to describe what they saw, those three disciples talk in terms of a great light, of whiteness, and of lightning. Now go forward, I don't know, 50 years, and the Apostle John is ready to light, to read, no, not to light and not to read, to write his gospel. And if you were to read the opening words of the gospel of John, he's talking about the word, and the word became flesh. And when he gets down to verse 14, John says, we saw his glory, full of grace and truth. I think John is now 50 years later looking back to that night on that mountain and saying, we saw his glory. We saw this Jesus in a majestic way, clearly the Messiah who had come. And so John keeps writing. And he gets to chapter 17. It's the night before Jesus died. And we have this long prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. And what does Jesus pray to the Father? He says, glorify me in your presence. He's saying, put me back the way I was. Put me back the way I showed up that night on the mountain of transfiguration. Glorify me. 
Now, these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, had the marvelous and mysterious experience of seeing God visibly revealed in this man, Jesus. And the impression they had was one of purity and holiness. That's all about that idea of glory. It was glorious on that occasion. Now, a bit more about those two men who showed up. Because the testimony of Moses and Elijah adds to what was happening. This is certainly a unique moment. Two men coming back from the other side. Why these particular two? Why Moses? Well, think about Moses. If there's any one person who can be called the Old Testament Messiah, it's this man, Moses. He's the one who led the millions of people of God out of slavery toward the promised land. He's the one who was up on Mount Sinai and got the Ten Commandments and became the lawgiver. Moses is the one who stood up on Mount Sinai and spoke to them for God. Moses is the man... Well, he's the man who saw God up on the mountain. Exodus 31, a very mysterious story. Moses says, God, I want to see you. And God says, no, you can't see me. I want to see you. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do, Moses. You, I'm going to put you here in the cleft of the rock. And you can hide for a moment, and then I'm going to walk by. And after I get by, you can take a peek at the backside of me. Uh, I don't know how that worked. But when it was over, the light was reflecting off Moses. Somehow, the glory of God that he saw from the back became part of Moses for quite a long period of time. His light, his face was shining. Moses, probably the greatest of all the Old Testament saints, and he shows up on this Mount of Transfiguration. Oh, that's Moses. But Elijah? Why Elijah? Elijah the prophet. Sometimes the Old Testament scriptures are called the law and the prophets. The law... Moses, the prophets, Elijah. The whole of the Old Testament is there bearing witness that very special night. Elijah, as the prophet, is the man who took the law and applied it to the people. Elijah was the great representative of all the prophets that came along. Elijah. A man who did not die. Hmm. He was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Very peculiar. Now Moses and Elijah had been waiting a long time to see the Messiah. Moses, for about 1,400 years, 
Elijah a bit less. And by their presence, as they have now joined Jesus and those three disciples, by their presence, they are testifying that Jesus is the one for whom they've been waiting. There was an occasion when Jesus said to his disciples, many prophets, many kings have longed to see and to hear what you disciples are experiencing, and now it happens. While those disciples are sleeping, the two representatives of the Old Testament get to see. And here's further revelation from God that Jesus is the Messiah who is promised in the Old Testament. All that was required in the law and all that was promised by the prophets is going to find fulfillment in this man who's standing right here on this mountain in glorious splendor. <laughs> One more thing, the cloud. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. Says they were afraid. <laughs> well, yes, they should be afraid, shouldn't they? Now, the cloud in the scripture is the symbol of the presence of God. Back on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments section, it says there was a heavy cloud and fire, and they realized, oh, this represents God here. It was the cloud that led them through the wilderness for 40 years, representing God. A little bit later, when it's time for Jesus to ascend, we took note today of Ascension Day. When it's time for Jesus to ascend, it's the cloud that carries him up out of sight. And Jesus says, there's going to be a day when I come back. First Thessalonians 4 describes it. And Jesus will return on the clouds. The nature of a cloud makes it a good symbol. A symbol for our God who's spiritual rather than material. And this particular cloud was bright, further suggesting the presence of a holy God on this occasion. One more thing, the voice, verse 35. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was allowed. Well, a week earlier, Jesus had conducted this opinion poll. Who do people say I am? And there were all kinds of answers about who Jesus might be, most of which wasn't really very important, was it? It was more important what Peter said about him, and it's still more important what God has to say about him. What does God think of Jesus? And in this passage, we have a threefold answer. The transfiguration itself tells us what God thinks of him. The visit of Moses and Elijah certainly testifies to what God thinks of him. And then 
the voice in the middle of the cloud. You know, you don't hear the voice of God very often in the scripture. It happened at Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. It happened at the baptism of Jesus where the voice said, you are my own dear son. I'm well pleased with you. And it happens here at the transfiguration. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now there's no doubt by this moment what God thinks of Jesus. Jesus had been teaching and serving for two years and God's opinion of him was still just as high as it had been at the beginning of his ministry two years earlier. God thinks very highly of Jesus. Peter had said, Jesus, you're the Christ. God says, you're right, Peter. He is the Messiah. Through the scriptures, step by step by step, God is revealing himself to people and more and more through that central person, Jesus the Messiah. I don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but when he sat down to write his book, here's how he started. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets in many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. This Jesus is exactly God. This Jesus is completely God. This Jesus is gloriously God. Three words, revelation, transfiguration. You'd think we're finished, but no, there's one more. Exhortation. What did the voice say? Listen to him. Now, Peter, James, and John hadn't been listening for two years, but a lot of what he said hadn't, had not really heard with an understanding mind and heart. But now God audibly says to these three men, listen to him. What an impression that would have made. In fact, you and I would would be listening right now really carefully if we'd been there that night. And what did the writer of Hebrews say? God has spoken to us through his son. God is speaking this morning to you through Jesus the Christ. Well, how's all that happen? Peter helps us understand that because some decades later, Peter wrote two letters. And when he got going on his second letter, oh, let me read a part of his, the first chapter of his second letter. Peter realized his life's about over and he says, 
I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Clearly, he's thinking back to that night. He received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And Peter's testimony. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now you would think that what Peter's doing is celebrating that experience as the ultimate thing. But no, it's not what he's doing. He goes on. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. He's saying, I'm going to turn you now from that experience, glorious as it was, I'm going to turn you to the scripture. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Peter is saying, the experience was wonderful, but the experience gave me more confidence in the scripture. God says, listen to my son. God says, the Bible is my message to you. It's the Bible that reveals my son to you. Use this book to listen to my son. Now, what's the goal? To know the book? No, that's not the goal. The goal is to know the Son. Seeing more of Jesus. How do we listen to Jesus? Through the book. Well, you see who Jesus is? Take the book and listen to him. Commit yourself to the Jesus, the Lord of glory. Let's pray. God, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, certainly what we want is to see Jesus and to lift him up in worship, in praise, in adoration, in wonder, in amazement. God, help us to live into the experience of the transfiguration that we might indeed see more and more of Jesus. Help us to bask in his glory. Help us to respond with love. Help us to live this week in gratitude for the Jesus who lived among us, for the Jesus who taught us, 
for the Jesus who performed miracles, but especially for the Jesus who was put on that cross in our place. Thank you, Lord, for walking out of that grave. Thank you for ascending. Thank you for promising to descend in a visible and powerful and wonderful way. And may that day soon come. Hear us, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.